Well, good morning. It's good to see y'all. My name is Sean Sills. I'm the student pastor here and uh, honored to be here this morning with you. Um, if you are watching online, we are super glad to have you with us. If you have a bulletin this morning, you'll want to pull out the uh, note sheet there. You might find something noteworthy in there to, uh, to write down today. Hopefully so. Um, Aaron and I are loving being in Wimberley, Texas. We, uh, we have been residents of Wimberley now for about three months. The house is finally beginning to feel like home, and uh, we could not be more excited. We cannot get enough of you guys. We love being here with you. My oldest son, Preston, and his wife, Sarah, are with us today, and the adorable granddaughter, Isabella, is with us. And uh, my youngest son, Jonathan, and his wife, Delaney, are with us as well. So excited about that. When I was growing up in elementary school, we lived, my family lived in North Texas, uh, Dallas, McKinney area. And uh, I remember every Christmas, we used to drive over to Arkansas to see my grandmother. Uh, she lived in Hamburg, Arkansas, uh, which I guess became notorious for that's where Scottie Pippen lived, but nobody knows who Scottie Pippen is anymore. So I guess that doesn't matter anyways. But I remember driving through this, this forest of pine trees as we would uh, get close to her house. And I, I remember the, the smell of the paper mills as we would uh, drive that way. And, and she had in her house a, a wood-burning fireplace stove kind of thing that heated the whole house. And in the, the afternoons, we would take a nap. And, and I could hear the, the grandfather clock still today clicking during those, those time. Um, great, great memories. My grandmother would uh, cook on a propane gas stove and uh, even after my grandfather had passed away, she would continue to pull out this little cast iron six inch skillet and cook every meal, warm it up uh, on that propane stove. One, one year, my parents bought her a microwave for Christmas. It was kind of the day and age, believe it or not, teenagers when people didn't have microwaves and everybody was getting microwaves. And so and they bought her a microwave and uh, she put it on the counter and she never used it. Uh, Year after year, we'd go back, and it was a bread box for loaves of bread. Uh, that, that was its purpose. Um, in contrast to that, Aaron and I have in our house a 1,200-watt uh, microwave. And uh, from time to time, I'll use another microwave, and it, it may be like an 800-watt microwave. And I'm like, you know, really? It takes 10 seconds longer to cook my food. And um, So maybe you don't go there, but... Uh, that's how I am. It's, it's funny, the perspective that we have on things. And I don't know if my grandmother, if the microwave, if it was just her view of how things should be done or resistant to try new things. Uh, this morning, I want to talk with you about the idea of I will connect with God and connect with others. And I'm going to say this more than once, but following Jesus should redefine every relationship that we have. Our perspective of relationships should change as we follow Christ. Today, we begin the, the second part in our I Will series. Um, I will be a church member that, that has an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and I will let him change my attitudes and perspectives, uh, that I will worship our risen Lord and Savior. 
uh, I want to be a, a church member, a follower of Christ that, that seeks to encounter him, uh, not only in my personal times, at my daily devotions, but in my group times that I have and in our gathering times, that, that we want to encounter God and we want to let him uh, lead us to a response out of those times that we have together, that, that, that we want Jesus to move in our heart. So I hope that's where you're at this morning. I hope that, that you get that out of this message. A couple of weeks ago, Les Bonbonard from uh, Canada came and, and talked with us, and, and he shared that Acts 2.42 passage that talked about the early church, that, that they devoted themselves to, to prayer and to the teaching and, and fellowship, and they devoted themselves to each other. And it's really going to play into the message today of, of, of how we live out our lives connected with God and connected with church. Last week, Pastor Scott brought the first in our series of the I Will sermons, uh, talking about I will worship God. And as a follower of Christ, that Jesus has changed my life and that we can honor God with our lives because he has invited us in to his story. We realize that, that we are saved not just to secure a place in heaven or, or just to be forgiven of our sins, but that we are saved to know him in an intimate relationship. And so because of that, we long for him. We want more of him. And, and we want to, uh, to abandon the things in life that, that keep us from that and that we want to experience him in everything that we can. I want to be honest with you that as I was preparing for the sermon today, uh, the last couple months were very interesting. I've known for about two months that I was going to preach this sermon, and uh, I read the Tom Rainer book, I Will. I hope that you've gotten yours from the, the table out there. Uh, I hope that that's encouraged you and what it is that God wants in a relationship with you. But, but I have to be honest with you that, that there are times that I struggle in connecting with God and connecting with others. And, and I'm not always there. Um, there's times that, that I just tell myself, you know, Sean, you're just tired and, and that's what it is. But, uh, but the honest truth is, is that there's times that I'm so task oriented that I just pass over relational connection. I know that's, uh, for those of you that know me very well, you're like, duh. Um, I can, I can be guilty at times of wanting people to be around me that think like me and look like me and act, okay, act like me is maybe a reach, but uh, think like me and look like me and dress like me. And, and the reality is, is that as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, the church, we're all shaped differently and, and we're not all alike. And, and I hope that you've gone online and taken the free shape test that that, that you've been given instructions for. If not, go to the table again and, and, and there'll be a sheet of paper there, but you can find out how God has wired you. But it's real easy for us to draw close to people that are just like us and think like us. A couple years into marriage, Aaron, uh, my wife, she told me one day, she said, you know, Sean, she said, uh, not everybody thinks like you. And I thought to myself, I can't help that they're wrong. <laughs> you can see the problem, I'm sure. Uh, about 15 years ago, I was teaching in, in student ministry about disappointment with God and trusting God and, and in dark times, you know, not running from God and, uh, and loving others. And, and this girl in the youth group, her name was Jessica. I remember just like yesterday that she said, you know, Sean, can, can I love people and not like them? 
And uh, I think that we're like that a lot of times. I, I don't know really what the answer there is. I think that God leads you to love people and maybe possibly like them as well at some point. But I think sometimes we live guarded lives because really, to be honest, the people that are closest to us are the people that can hurt us the most. And as a result, we, we tend to live out relationships sometimes, keeping everybody at an arm's distance away from us so that, that we don't really let them in. Because if we let them in, they might see us for who we really are. And if they don't like us or say something, they can wound us. Um, you know, the truth is that, that we do that with God as well. That uh, sometimes things don't go as we've decided that they should. And uh, maybe the loss of a job leaves us um, paralyzed with fear or, or pushed aside. Um, sometimes sickness or cancer uh, is not something that we were expecting and, and we don't know how to react. Uh, sometimes the loss of a loved one just leaves us feeling completely empty and numb. And uh, life is fragile and life can take a turn at any moment. And, and you know, the question is, what are we going to do? Are we going to push away from the table with God and, and, and doubt him that he really loves us and that, that he's really in charge and that he has a plan for our life? Or are we going to draw in and say, God, you know, regardless of what happens, I'm going to trust you. And I, I want you to hear this. I want you to know that today this message is not simply a, a message of our duty driven obligation to God of how we're going to respond but really, this is a, a message of relational purpose and trust. And so as I start, I want to ask you five questions. Just want you to think about these things. Um, I, want to be, I want to go slow enough that you really have a chance to think about these. Uh, the first one is this. Do you thirst for God? Does God's word in your life increasingly guide you and govern the way that you live and determine your steps? Are you sensitive to the presence of God? And do you grieve over sin in your life? Are you growing in your love for others? You see, these are not a question of obligation or duty, but really these reveal your spiritual health. And this morning, I want to challenge you to move from I could or I might or I should to I will. I will trust God. I will connect with him and connect with others. So as we dive in this morning, I just want to ask you to pray with me for just a moment. Lord, I ask you today that, that you will empty me of my thoughts and God, that your words alone would be heard. Father God, we confess that, that Lord, we crave comfort that we are often afraid to put ourselves in uncertain situations where we don't know the outcome or, or how someone will react. God, we desire to know you no matter what the cost. And we desire to unashamedly declare that, that you are good and the good news of your son, Jesus, with the people in our lives. God, I pray that you would give us the opportunity to be your messengers. Lord, draw us close to you. Father, so that we can love people out of the overflow of an intimate relationship with you. God, thank you that you give us the opportunity to enter into the work that you're doing, drawing people into relationship with you 
in building the kingdom of God here on earth. God, thank you for the relentless and persistent love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross for us, sparing no cost for our rescue. God, let the rescuers to a lost and dying world live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as I prepared for this passage, uh, for this sermon today, uh, there was a number of different passages of scriptures that I looked at. And, and, and there was a lot of good passages that, that talk about the relationship that we would have with God and with others. And, and, and I felt like that if taken the wrong way, they could be really out of a duty driven kind of feel. And so I, I came across the the second Corinthians passage. And so if you want to follow along in your Bibles this morning, second Corinthians chapter five, verse 16 through 21. Uh, if you would prefer the, the slides are going to be up that, that have it, but second Corinthians chapter five, verse 16 through 21, Paul's talking and, and he says this, he says from now on, then we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we had known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, new things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I've always been drawn to this passage because of the theological ideas that are here. And I don't want to go through all those this morning because really what I want to focus on this morning is, is relationally what's taking place here. But just looking at verse 16 and 17 for just a second, um, you know, Paul saying, you know, we, we used to know each other in this, this human way. Um, we knew information about each other and, and new things that each other were doing, but now in Christ, we know each other differently. And even Christ we're able to know, not just in a human way, but personally. You see, first of all, my first point this morning is this, is that there is a difference between knowing facts about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And there are a lot of us that know information about Jesus, but we do not have an intimate, personal relationship with him, that we trust him and we follow him. Paul, uh, formerly was known as, as Saul. And Saul uh, was a Pharisee, uh, a person that, that pursued Judaism, and he knew facts about Jesus. He had made an assessment of who this person, Jesus Christ, was. And he found him to be a false messiah, a heretic, uh, a rebel against Judaism and worthy of death. But one day Paul was walking along on a road to Damascus and he had an encounter with Jesus that he moved beyond knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus intimately. Following Jesus should redefine and change the perspective of every relationship that we have. The second thing that I want you to get this morning is this, is that God desires to draw us into an intimate relationship with him. 
The book of Psalms in, in Scripture tells us that biblical knowledge is better than gold if it fuels our trust in Him because it draws us into intimacy with God. But if our knowledge of God replaces the trust that we have in Christ, then it really only fuels our pride. And perhaps you've known people that are self-righteous religious people that know a lot about God but have no trust in intimacy with God. Intimacy is this. Intimacy is what we call the experience of really knowing and being known by another person. Intimacy is knowing someone and being known by them and being loved. And I think that's what we all desire. We, we oftentimes use spatial language when we start talking about intimacy and describing the experience that we have in intimacy. If I have a friend that is close to me, um, an intimate friend, I would say that, that that person is close to me and that they know me on a deep level. You see the spatial language there? Um, if a person doesn't know me very well, then, then we have a superficial relationship. We're not very deep with each other. And, and sometimes um, when there's a break in the trust that we have with a friend, we feel distant from them. But the truth is, is that intimacy is not spatial, but intimacy is relational. And we, we've all known what it's like to, to sit next to someone that, that we feel very, very distant from. And to have somebody that's 100 miles away from us that we feel very, very close to. What is the common root of feeling intimate with someone? And there's a, there could be a lot of things that, that foster an intimate relationship. But the reality is that trust is really the common denominator. That, that without trust, you cannot be intimate with a person. And that trust is at the heart of intimacy. The more that we trust someone, the closer we let them get to us. And this is as true in our relationship with God as it is with our relationship with others. Oftentimes, our experience of God's nearness is, is not the distance that he is from us because the Bible says that he is always with us. But it really has to do with the experience of our intimacy with him is, is whether we're trusting him or whether we're disappointed with him or whether there's sin in our life. The more we trust God, the more it causes us to intimately draw close to him. So if you're following along with me this morning, you may be thinking, you know, I don't know that that's how I would characterize my walk with God. I know God and, and, and I'm a believer, but, but I don't know that I could say that I feel intimate with God. And sometimes we think that that's something that we have to cook up on our own, that, that somehow on our own ability that we generate this relationship with God, that, that we're close to him and others see that in us. And that's who we portray ourselves to be. And the reality is, is that if you're not trusting God, it's not going to be in your life. The honest truth is, is that we put our hope and our trust in something. We all do. You put your hope and your trust in something. The question is, what is it? I remember like yesterday driving down the road and I was listening to this, this sermon on the radio. And uh, the idea that was being presented is this, that when you and I allow something to become more significant in our life than God, and when we put our hope and our trust in something more than we're trusting God, that basically what we've done is we've let an idol 
come into our life and we've moved God out of the lordship position of our life. And it's easy for us to do. It's easy for us to put our, our hope and our trust in, in relationships or success or, or the accomplishments that we make students or, of whether we did well or whether we performed poorly. We put our hope and our trust in, in what people think about us. There's a lot of things that we look to for fulfillment. And the truth is, is that if God allows us to find our significance in anything other than him, then really he's endorsing those things in our life. Perhaps the, the emptiness of our soul at times is the realization that things in life can't ever satisfy you, that there's nothing that really lasts like God. And perhaps sometimes God will lead us to a place of realizing that, that we will trust in him when we found that everything else in life is untrustworthy. And I know that sounds kind of gloomy, but the reality is, is that he's worth it, that he's better than everything else. David Platt says it this way. Um, the truth of the gospel beckons us to a much different response and leads us down a much different path. Here, the gospel demands and enables us to turn from our sin, to take up our cross and to die to ourselves and to follow Jesus. Salvation now consists of a deep wrestling with our souls, with the sinfulness of our hearts and the depths of our depravity and the desperation of our need for his grace. The cost of following Jesus is great, but the cost of not following Jesus is greater Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I think I've preached three times here since I've come to Wimberley, and I've used it in every single sermon. So going for 100% here this morning on, on consistency. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. The word this is pointing back to that word faith that our faith that we have is not our own doing, that it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any one of us would boast. The faith that we have in Jesus is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. He is the one that invites us into an authentic, intimate relationship with him. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. In Colossians chapter three, verse 16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly until we have the truth of God in us. We will struggle with where to turn. There've been times in my life that were dark times and I doubted what I had heard God tell me in the light. There was hurt and betrayal in my life and, and it left me running from any kind of trust and intimacy. And we are prone to wander, but we have a God that is prone to chase. And we need each other more in those times than ever before, that we are truly better together. Do you believe that? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this. It says, trust in the Lord always and don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This morning, if you're struggling to trust God and move from just knowing about him to truly knowing him personally, I got a question for you. Is it because possibly that you've been doing your own thing 
and just asking God to bless it. I know that's true of me, that there's times that I say, God, this is what I'm going to do. And God, will you just bless this? And as I was preparing, I remembered a, a passage in Genesis and it was after I'd already turned my slides in, so it's not there. But I want to read from you, uh, for you from Genesis chapter. You can go home this afternoon and read 15, 16, and 17 uh, chapters in Genesis. But it's the story in Genesis where God comes to Abram. And he says, Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. The only problem was is that Sarah and, and Abram were really old at this point. And even after the promise had come, that he was going to become this great nation with no children. 15 years went by and nothing happened. And in chapter 17, verses five through seven, I'll read these verses. It's God's talking to Abram and he says this. He says, your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will now be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. And I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. And I will keep my covenant between me and you and your future offspring and their generations, an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring. And so the sermon could really just kind of stall out here because there's so often that in our lives that we say, God, I don't know that I can forgive that person. God, I don't know that that person's ever going to change. God, I don't know that, that this is ever going to be more than just what it is. And, and Abraham has this promise on the table that, that God's going to do great things. And he's going to bring nations and rulers and that he's going to have an everlasting covenant. And Abraham's just weary that nothing's happened and that God's not moving fast enough. Maybe God can't get this done. And in verses 17 and 18, Abraham does this. And it, this is just, I don't know if it's funny or if it's sad or if it's real or all of the above. But in verses 17 and 18 it says this, Abraham fell face down and he laughed and he said to himself, can a child be born from a hundred year old man and a 90 year old woman? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael was in your sight. See, what Sarah and Abraham had done was is they decided that God wasn't moving fast enough in the story. And so Sarah had taken her maidservant, Hagar, and brought her to Abraham and said, listen, God isn't moving. And so let's just do this ourselves. You take the maidservant and you have a child and we'll name him Ishmael. And the child was born. And God said, this isn't the child that I'm going to make the promise through. And, and Abraham said, God, why don't you just bless what I'm doing? Have you ever done that? Have you ever got, said to God, God, why don't you just bless what I'm doing and make it good enough? And I want you to think about that. What if God had said, okay, okay, Abraham, I don't know if you know the story of Abraham too much, but there's at least three world beliefs that have found their origins in Abraham, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Islam is a, is a nation of people that have come out of the root of Ishmael. 
What if God had just said, you know what, that whole Jesus thing and that everlasting covenant, maybe that's not a great idea anyways. Maybe Abraham will just go with Ishmael and we'll run with this. Would things look differently in your life? Absolutely. Would things look differently in my life if God just said, okay, Sean, we're going to go with your plan rather than my plan. Praise God for his plan. The struggle in life between my kingdom come, my will be done. In your kingdom come, your will be done. Some of us here this morning would say, you know, Sean, I I feel like I'm close to God and I I feel like I have an intimate relationship with him. but, But man, I struggle with people following Jesus should redefine and change the perspective of every relationship that you have. Ask Jesus to change your heart in this area. I told you that my grandmother had a microwave, but she never used it. Guys, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. We can ask God, God, do a work in my heart to change me. Help me to love others. Your commitments define your relationships. You know, in student ministry, um, it seems like that that there can be a lot of great things going on and, and that spiritual momentum can be happening and students can be doing great things for the Lord and that Satan steps in and, and creates drama among students and, and breaks down the trust. I know that that never happens with adults. So just kind of envision that maybe you're tracking with me here. You know, when when we have struggles in our relationships with others and when trust begins to deteriorate and break down, um, we move out of that intimate relationships. And I want to look at verse 17 again of second Corinthians. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and God has made all things new. God is wanting to make your heart new towards people. He goes on to say this. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, to be reconciled means that, that you are at odds with each other, that you maybe were even at war with each other, that, that we at one time were enemies of God. But God sent Jesus Christ, the ambassador of grace, the representative of his love and his forgiveness that we could enter into relationship. And so now we become the ambassador of grace in relationship to others around us. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, there's times that, that abuse and, and unspeakable wrongs take place in life. And I believe that, that we have to have boundaries not to allow these things to happen again. But God can cause within our hearts the ability to forgive others and to trust others. God can do that. In Christ, all things are made new. And we've been given the ministry of helping others come into a right relationship with God. God has given that to you and to me that the rescued become rescuers, that the reconciled become reconcilers, that God has given us the ability to deliver grace and be ambassadors for him. 
You know, the question is not how can I get to the safest place in life, but really how can I get to the most strategic place for the kingdom? David Platt again has a a quote that I want to read to you. It says that my prayer is that people will see that following Jesus costs you everything you are and everything you have. And my prayer is that people will see that Jesus is worth it. And he is. Erin, my wife, you know, I want her to love me because she delights in me, not out of obligation or duty. And there's times that I can feel like, you know, she did that because she's my wife and she needed to. And there's times that she can do things. And I I really feel like that, that she did it out of love and out of the fact that she enjoys me. As a follower of Christ, I want to leverage my life for what matters most. And I don't want to serve God out of duty or obligation because I have to, that he did something for me. And so I've just got to return the favor back to him. But I want to move my life that I'm in the most strategic place that I can reach people for him. Because the thing that matters most to God is people. People matter most to God. Um, Stan Weatherford was here during the summer and he taught out of the book of first John. I hope that you were here during that time. But one of my favorite passages is, is in first John. First John is a book that I've had the chance to study more than a lot of other books. And again, I'm just going to read some of these verses to you, but, uh, chapter one of first John verses one through four, it says this, John's writing, uh, to a group of people that have kind of drawn away. And, and he says to them, what was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we've seen with our eyes and what we've observed and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. I don't know if you hear that in those verses right there, but, but it's a movement of intimacy that, that we can, that we can hear something from a distance and we can see it with our eyes and we can move towards it and touch it with our hands and we can think about it and process it in our hearts and it becomes inside of us. And he says, but concerning this, the, the word of life, he's talking about an intimate relationship that's now grown and taken hold. He says that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and we declare to you that eternal life was with the father and that eternal life was revealed to us. And what we have seen and heard, we will also declare to you that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. Fellowship was a word there that um, a lot of times today we think of fellowship as, as kind of being socially connected to somebody. You know, I want to have fellowship with you. But in, in this day, the word there was more of a word that you would hear in, in like a legal type setting. If you have a sole proprietorship of business or, or a corporation, fellowship was a word that go, would go right alongside of those words because fellowship mean a partnership in something. It was almost like a legal term of being partnered together in a purpose for something. And so as John's writing here, he says that we have fellowship with each other. We have a partnership with each other now because our partnership is with God in the kingdom of God and what he's doing. And so he says in verse four, he says, I write these things that we'll have fellowship with each other and that our joy would be made complete. And so why am I reading to you these verses this morning? Because of this, 
In chapter two, he goes on to say that out of this intimate fellowship that we have with each other and with God, he says this, that if you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, that you're walking in spiritual darkness. And this morning, as we say, you know, God, I want to connect with you. And out of that connecting with you, I want to be um, in a right relationship with you. I want to be saved and, and I want to be a reconciler to others. And I want to be a, an ambassador of your grace to others. God is going to lead you out of that intimate relationship to connect with other people. And if you say that you don't love someone, then really there's a disconnect from everything else that's just taken place. Ask God to change your heart in the areas of relationship where you're disconnected from people. Ask God to see people as he sees them. You know, I don't know how you are when you approach people. I don't know if the first thought is, wow, she's really pretty or wow, he's really smart or man, they're really talented. But what if your first impression was that you saw people how God saw them? What if you loved people? What if I loved people like God loves them? Would my relationship with them cause them to feel like they were in the presence of God? Or would they feel pushed aside because of my lack of approval? I can't make you follow God in an intimate relationship, but I can live my life in relationship with him and in relationship with others that causes you to see what he's done and to draw near to him because of what you see in me. That can be the message of who we are as a people of Christ. The, the community around us sees intimacy with God and intimacy with each other's. And so the question of the morning is not how can I get to the safest place possible, but how can I get to the most strategic place possible that God can use me to, to leverage my life for his kingdom's purposes. I was listening to a, a church member this past week that had come into the office. I was in my office and they were talking to Joe down the hallway. Uh, Joe leads our, our groups and, and um, they were talking about how that they were going to begin a small group in their home and that they had opened up their house to, to this group of friends that was going to come in and, and that they were going to be able to draw around a dining room table to, to intimately be able to hear each other better and, and relationally just connect with each other. And that that was going to free them up on Sunday morning to serve in our children's ministry. That's it. That's getting it. That is moving from just attending to saying, God, I want to relationally draw in and pour into others. And I want to open up spaces to where I can serve where I'm needed. You know, we were singing this morning, the song, open my eyes in wonder this morning. Perhaps you've connected with God at some point, but you feel like that that intimacy has eroded. You feel distant to God. And as I've already said this morning, he hasn't moved from you. God is constantly steadfast with us. But maybe relationally, our trust has eroded from him. Maybe disappointments in life, things that didn't happen, have caused us to wander away from him because he wasn't blessing what we wanted. This morning, I want to challenge you in commitment to, to come back to God 
and say, God, I will commit to you. We have a sticker this morning. And the deal is this. The deal is, is that when you make commitments and you respond to God in some way, that the reality that that response is going to stick and become permanent is more prevalent if you do something, if you respond in some way. If you just walk out of here this morning and you say, okay, God, I'm going to draw near to you. The reality is it's probably not going to happen. And so we have a sticker that each week as we go through this, I will series, we're asking you that if you will commit to God and say, God, I will draw near to you. I will connect to you. Help my heart to change. Then we want to challenge you this morning to put that sticker on that you'd be willing to draw near to him. And if this morning God's leading you to say relationally, I want to connect with others more than just superficial relationships. God, I want to love people like you love them. I want them to experience the, the intimacy of knowing you through knowing me in my life. And if that's where you're at this morning, I want to challenge you to, to wear the sticker. And some of us here this morning, maybe you're like where I was for about a year and a half. Aaron and I would go to church. We were going to Fellowship of Plum Creek. And I told you there was some hurt and some things that had happened in my life. And I told God, God, I will go to church on Sunday morning because that's your time, God. And I knew when I went to church on Sunday morning, every single Sunday, that it was good for my soul. But I had convinced myself that people didn't know where I was at and that nobody could understand the hurt that I was going through or understand the steps that I was taking. And I was running from relationships as hard as I could possibly run. Aaron wanted to draw into group times and I wanted nothing to do with it because I had been hurt. And so this morning, I don't want you to put a sticker on for a sticker. Really, I'm more concerned about spiritual health. And if this morning the truth is you're saying, I'm not and I won't. I don't want you to wear a sticker for us, but I am asking that you would open your heart and say, God, open my eyes to the wonders of you. God, I give you the freedom to change me and let him move because out of those times we serve and we follow an authentic God that is real. God doesn't need you to be fake with him. I had people tell me, fake it till you make it. Brother, that doesn't work, okay? How about just draw near to God and ask him to do a work that only he can do? And so this morning, don't wear the sicker if that's not where you're at. But I wanna challenge you to give God the, the right to move in your heart and let him be the God that he is. For some of us this morning, you've never authentically said, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm going to trust you to forgive me of my sin, and I'm going to follow you as Lord of my life. This morning, you can do that. I told the earlier gathering that uh, one time we were on mission trip with a bunch of students, and we had gone to this lady's mobile home for two years in a row, and we had done work on her mobile home, and we invited her to come to an evening worship gathering. And uh, at age 83, Miss Tesh walked down an aisle and gave her life to Jesus. You see, you can go a lifetime 
of just knowing about God. But today, you can step in to truly knowing God. He's inviting you to come into a relationship with him and ask him to forgive you of your sins. This time is going to be a time of invitation for you to respond. If you want to accept Christ, we would love for you to do that this morning. You can come and talk to me or any one of us that are gathered around this room. This morning, if you would be willing to say, God, I want to draw near to you and connect, I want to challenge you to respond in some way this morning. If you realize that, man, the struggle is not with God, the struggle is with people, I want to challenge you to ask God to help your relationships become real and authentic. And this morning, if you're at the place that I'm not, if you're at the place that, God, I can't do that, just allow a brother or a sister to come close to you. I want to challenge you to think about drawing into a group and, and becoming a part of that. You can talk to Scott Tidwell or Tom Gillespie or any of the others that are here this morning that maybe just find somebody that's in a group and go be a part of their group. Whatever your decision is this morning, whatever God's speaking to your heart this morning, don't leave this place without responding to him.